a guy recently um, ask, you know, we were hooking up and he goes, can I go down on you? And I was like, well, first of all, it's may I? So like, <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to show off your oral skills here. <laughs> Get that grammar in check. Hello and welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I am your host, Christina Singh, and this is a show all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. I am so excited for today's show. This is day three in a week long lineup of shows, and this uh, this episode is an interview, and it is with one of my favorite humans, Gracie Kanan. I have known Gracie since she was a teenager. We talk about that. She is the cousin of one of my best friends. And I saw her transformation from graphic design into stand-up. And it has been one of the coolest things to see. Uh, we dive into everything from her journey to the inner workings of comedy in New York City, how she gets paid. We talk about cancel culture, how she started and how she writes her jokes, everything in between. And um, you'll, you'll also get to hear some snippets of her comedy. So please, please, please go check out Gracie. Go follow her on Instagram. Head to one of her shows if she is in a town near you. I know she's going to be in Chicago this weekend. So if you're in Chicago, go check Gracie out. She is so funny, so freaking talented. And let's just dive into it. I hope you love this episode as much as I do. Don't forget, you can send me a voice note if you'd like with any questions for past guests, myself, any topics you'd like, any observations you're having. The link for that is in the episode description. And don't forget to follow myself and all of the other ladies on the Amplify Her Media lineup. Let's get into it with Gracie. Enjoy. Like the old film school, like... (laughs) I I have one of those. I have a slate board. You're literally... It on another level of what I am doing here. <laughs> You're like, I don't. Not my, I'm like, claps? Like, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> you just start doing this. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. One, two, three, clap. Okay, my love. <laughs> Crazy. Okay. Is that the first time that you've started a podcast interview like that? And I'm yeah. just this huge weirdo. No, I'm sure you're very normal in that. (laughs) Oh, this is no, 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 no. I didn't mean like that. Um, (laughs) I'm sure you're very normal in like the world of podcast, like entertainment. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. I just do this. Yes, you do. Look at you have that little, I don't even know what that's called. A a what is that cover called? It's like a, Oh, it's like a, something. I don't know. I was going to say, a whoosh. <laughs> yes, yes, I think that is the technical term. Oh uh, um, yes. The Sony whoosh 350. Um, yes. I think it's like a wind cover or something like that. Yes, so it's wind like cover, not, wind cover. I also have, I have one of these this, on this new camera that I got. It's a wind ooh, cover, but look, it doesn't it look like a little creature. Well, they do that it's with really ASMR. Weird. It looks like a little ASMR. Harry Potter situation. Yes, I have this too, but I actually found the sound is worse when I have that over it. Um, yeah. 
should we dive in to me asking you questions about your life? You are my, I am on the Christina safari and you are my leader. I'm you so are excited. the driver. You have the binoculars. This is a peaceful safari. We won't be shooting any animals just in case anyone has any issues. My entire uh, goal is to not get canceled. So you'll be oh. hearing me say, don't cancel me throughout this interview. I feel probably. like a lot of, okay, listen, I, these yeah. are things I want to talk please about. Feel free welcome, to to the, yeah. welcome to the Amplifier podcast. <laughs> I'm very excited to have you, my love. Thank you for this having is Gracie. me. Um, I love you so much. And, um, just to give people a background, um, your cousin is one of my best friends Mm -hmm. and you and I have spent several holidays together and Mm -hmm. I have just known you since you were, oh my God, I don't even know. Yeah. Since a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. And since you were in, I remember when you were going into college and you were, um, like whittling things, like (laughs) (laughs) I remember when, Uh, when good old days chisels and maple, (laughs) exactly. When you were explaining to me how you were chiseling wood and creating like legs for tables and things like that. And, um, now you're talking about your vagina on stage a lot. Yes. Although I'm trying to decrease that mm. particular subject more, if only to catch less flack from internet trolls. But <gasps> I I internet trolls. I it about. doesn't matter what I post. They'll always get me. But it is always a fun challenge uh, to not talk about sex. We'll see how that goes. I love it. I think it's great. Um, it all, it is very jarring for me to hear you talk about sex because <laughs> I think because everyone's gotten over you're it now, like but when my I family out, I'm like, like, whoa, great. Like, but the first Gracie, time I was like, little whittling Gracie. Uh, <laughs> I was like, where's you? You just come up on stage with a table leg. Like, I'm like, that's the girl I know. Um, a full, a full lave. I'm just like singing a little yes. Norwegian whittling yes. tune. You're like, yes, hold. I'm like, this is the girl I know. Um, I so- when uh, when my family and friends first saw everything, I think they were equally jarred, and they now everyone's just so desensitized to it now that like my mom will share on her Facebook the gross can I swear on here oh 100% okay all right she will share the grossest shit that I post and then in the comment section she'll tag her friends so like it's not enough (laughs) to put this out there she has to like personally attack people with my super inappropriate (laughs) content uh too much contact i'm just gonna say it uh too much and i'm not talking mouth to pussy contact i'm talking eye contact you know what i mean like i have to be (laughs) i'm sorry i was gonna finish this joke and i just got such a knowing sigh (laughs) from this woman (laughs) i said eye contact and she was like tell me about it that's so why I duct tape their eyes closed. Yes. Oh my God. So Incredible. I'm very lucky to have inappropriately supportive people about my, my gross sexual content. Yeah. I love it. So, okay. So you have gone on this journey of you, you are a stand up comedian and I did not know you 
as a stand-up comedian when we first met and as your evolution has progressed, I knew you as going into art school and then doing graphic design. And then you started doing stand-up. And I remember when you started and I remember you were going out there more and more. Now I feel like you're, you are full-fledged out there doing your thing as a stand-up a lot. You're giving me a face. Um, so <laughs> I have secrets. I have secrets. I'll tell you on this podcast. Beautiful. I love secrets. I live. For secrets. <laughs> so I just wanted to, I mean, I kind of know a little bit about it. You, I know you wanted to dabble and you wanted to like flirt with this, but where, when did you decide to pursue stand-up comedy? Because I don't know that particular detail. Yeah, so um, 1846, it was a stormy (laughs) night. Uh, So I grew up like a total ham. So I was always into art and theater. Like I was very, it was very clear from my parents that like they didn't even bother pushing me in math and science. They were just like, you're, there's like no hope for you. She's going to go into theater or art. And then, so I really loved, I, I always really loved theater and film. And when I went to art school, I thought that's what I was going to major in. And then I made a take note listeners fear-based decision to go into industrial design, which I thought would be a lot more stable for uh, my career, uh, which I don't know if that's wrong, but it was an important lesson and just like follow your heart because you're going to get there anyway. Mm. Um, So after I graduated, I was working as a designer at Urban Outfitters. And I've always loved comedy, like listen to comedy on repeat, like knew all of John Mulaney's bits, everything. And, um, and so I was really interested in, in trying it, but I was too scared. So I'd kind of peek my head into open mic nights and then I'd back out and then I'd almost sign up. And then I'd go away and I was living in Philadelphia at the time. And um, I had nowhere else to like put my creative frustration So my boyfriend at the time, Otis, you know, I can, you can shout him out guys, plugging his podcast, sleepy podcast. (laughs) Um, He finally was like, all right, this is painful to watch. Here's a stand-up comedy class. Like you have to go. And so I started in a class when I was like 24 in Philly and I was like, just hooked. Like I was like, I lied to myself and other people for a long time. I was like, this is just a hobby. This is, I feel like it's when people, I imagine what it's like when people start having an affair or something, you're like, this is just blah, blah, blah. Sorry. That's probably like a really bad comparison, (laughs) but (laughs) just throwing some immoral shit in there. So I was just hooked and then it just progressed from there and it almost felt involuntary. I was like, no, it's just going to be a hobby. I can't let this dictate my life. Um, and then it just became, it was like, I, I can't not give this a shot. And I yeah. just like did everything. So long winded. Okay. No, I love it. When you were taking classes, what, what did that look like? Cause I feel like I would be even so terrified to even go to a class. Like I'd be like, uh, like you want me to stand up on stage and be vulnerable, like vulnerable in this way. Like even that feels a lot, like a lot. What did you do? I mean, it seems um, obvious. But. It's, I would actually recommend to people who are too scared to go to an open mic to take a class because more likely than not, it's going to be all 
people who've never done it before. Okay. And you will probably not be the worst person in the class. That's what I can say. It's a lot of people who are taking beginner level stand-up comedy classes. You get a real mixed bag. You get a lot of people who think they're way funnier than they are. So the stakes could not be lower. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, And it's just a great little like push down the slide. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good taste. Like if you feel like you do well, you did well. And if you feel like you got a grip on it, then it's a great confidence booster. And if you're absolutely not getting it at all, uh, you know, maybe try improv. Yeah. What about stand up versus improv? appeals more to you? Ooh, that's a great question, especially because I just like two months ago started doing improv and I fucking love it. And that's like the surprise of the century. I would say comparing um, stand-up and improv is like comparing Slytherin to Hufflepuff. This is the most millennial answer you could have given. Yeah. Like it yeah. really is like mm-hmm. I was always rolling my eyes at improv aka like everyone's so fucking happy everyone um but it really does like make you a better person um and there I think the reason that stand up appealed to me first was simply just because of like logistics before I did stand up I was trying to get into a lot of like community theater things in Philly and the schedule didn't work out and everything so I was like oh stand up is a great way it's just you. It's just you writing and acting and directing, and you can do it whenever you want. Um, so I think just that autonomy really appealed to me. Um, and the fact that writing about your life comes really naturally. Right. Improv is hard as in like, you need to slip in and out of a lot of different situations. And it's like very, um, it's very good for people who are like very meditative and very like clear, the clearer you are, the better you're going to be. Whereas at up, like the more rubber band brain your ball is, the more shit you're going to churn out. So right. it's great for neurotic damaged people is the short yeah, answer. That's what I've noticed. Um, yeah. so. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's true. Here's my personal crisis. He wants the whole baby marriage kids thing, oh. situation. And I feel like this is a who fuck you. Are you just woo because you have that or woo because you're also trying to ruin a successful woman's life? Everyone <laughs> is still pretending like it's women who are baby crazy with the biological clogs. Bullshit. You men are walking around just jacked up on semen. <laughs> Like, I must secure my legacy. We don't need more skateboarders. Chill the fuck out. So when you first got on stage after you took this class, because you had said you dabbled with open mics. So did you get on stage at an open mic before you took that class? No, No, you were just too afraid. First time I was too afraid, even though now it's obviously it's like, you know, laughable and cute that you'd be scared to go up at like a a bar in Philadelphia, but it's scary. It's really, really, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, Bar people, you have to perform for bar bar people? I know. Oh man. And now I I think maybe if I had tried just an open mic, it would have taken me so much longer to start stand up. Like if I hadn't Mm. done well and learned the basics and now baby, not to brag, but if I'm in a bar full of people and they all have their back turned to me, I don't feel a 
thing. <laughs> I leave that bar. I, you, you can't strong. hurt my feelings. Yes. I'm strong. I'm broken. I'm like a, I'm like old worn leather. Uh, Mithril. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I was literally just watching the Lord of the Rings. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I, I tried to get into the ring of power. Oh, I was just watching. That's what I was ring watching. Power didn't really get into it, but that oh, doesn't mean that we can't include old school references all up in this podcast episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I had never taken a stand up class, uh, uh, done an open mic before that stand up class. I took the stand up class and then we had a graduation show. And that was when I was like, oh, I fucking love this. And I remember mm-hmm. my teacher at the time, this is not a brag because he was like, kind of, a, he, I don't think he's ever going to see this. Like, he was kind of a tool. So this isn't a brag. But he came up to me after he was you like, never hey, guess who's here. Really... <laughs> Come on. Hey, but uh, I was going to say his name, but I was like, hey, just in case. Um, again, don't cancel me. You never know when you're going to get canceled these days. Uh, but he came up to me after and he was like, hey, you could really do this if you wanted to. And I was just like, validation, valid, like, like, give me all of the, and then like feeding off the audience versus just being in a class performing to feedback was like, the. it was like such a rush that I was like, this is, and I don't think I've stopped doing stand up for like more than a, a couple weeks. Yeah. Since. Like not including the pandemic. Right. When you first yeah. got on stage after that class, what was that like? Where, what, where were you? When I first got on stage after the class, like when mm-hmm. I started doing mics. Yeah. Um, yes. I remember it was, I think my first mic was a place called Bourbon and, oh my God, Bourbon and Bullet or something. It was Northern Liberties in Philadelphia. And I remember meeting a couple of people that I still know today. And I went up and I did a mic. And then after this really nice guy came up and he was like, Hey, cause you know, you, if anyone's listening to this, anyone's listening to this, who wants to try stand up, feel free to say when you're going up, like, Oh, it's my first time. People are way more supportive than you would think. Um, so afterwards this guy was like, Hey, do you want to come up on my show? And then, yeah, I just started doing more mics and more shows in Philly and people were just really nice. And I think like, so nice. yeah. And I think they really liked fresh blood. And I think there was a lot of demand for like female talent. Right. So, yeah. Uh, So what is, I mean, I'm have never seen stand up in Philly. I've seen stand up lots of, lots of places, but I haven't been to Philly. What is the scene like there? Cause you moved to New York, you're in New York now. So Yes. I've been in New York for most, I was only in Philly for six months doing stand up, And then I moved to New York, which is kind of funny. I moved to New York for a job. Like I worked mm-hmm. as a full-time designer, but it was funny because apparently there were like some mutterings in Philadelphia, like, Oh, Grace, you think she's hot shit after six months. I'm like, I have to pay my loans. Um, right. You're like, I got a job. Yeah. Like moving to oh. New York that soon doing stand up did not do my stand up career any favors but we can get into that later um the philly scene i would say and this goes for like most scenes outside of new york and probably la and probably chicago i'm not sure yet but it's very it's the smaller the city the clickier it is interesting obviously so at least when i was there it might be different now it was a lot of like you know you go to one mic a night because there was only one mic a night and everyone would like hang out and get drunk. And there was, it was very like, um, there were a lot of gatekeepers. 
So like mm. they were kind of the cool guys, at the, like the king of the hill, and they would like decide who went in the first half, and they, you know, but it almost felt like so high stakes because you cared <laughs> so much what everyone else thought. And to this day, I still have that need to be liked by like the cool guys of comedy, um, which is like fucked up. And in New York, it's all business. It's like a gym. really like people show up. They go to like one of three mics a night. They show up with their notebook. No, barely anyone's drinking. Like I would say it's it's not as common for people to like grab a drink or something unless you have like you have to grab a drink and then people just get like a $6 seltzer or whatever. Um, but yeah, it is just like constant reps. Like people, when people make the move here, they they risk a lot. You know, they leave behind things. They probably don't have a lot of money. They came here to do stand-up. So there's like a lot more serious nature to it. And like, I think a lot less dramatic bullshit. That makes sense. And honestly, that sounds very New York and, and much more of a relief in my brain of having to, than having to deal with the politics of a lot of, uh, you know, a different kind of culture, like you were talking about. I well yeah because if you can't get in to one in New York it's like if you can't get into one club or with one crowd or whatever there's like hundreds of literally hundreds yeah. of other shows you can get into there's so many clubs there's some like you can start your own show you can start your own podcast like there's there's just no um and when I go to a lot of other smaller towns it feels like Philly too like when I go to Nashville or when I go that being said it's like easier to grow faster and get attention faster, but it's a trade-off. Yeah. That's, this is super fascinating. So you went to, so you moved from Philly to New York. When did you start doing stand-up in New York? Did you just jump right into it when you moved? How did that transition look? I did jump right into it. And this is something like if I could have done, if I could do this again, I would have done it differently because the first six months I was in New York, I like the job was so quick that I was actually commuting a lot of the times, like I was sleeping on couches. I was commuting back and forth between Philadelphia and New York. Cause like my boyfriend at the time was there. So I, in hindsight, what I will tell you what I did first. And then I tell you what I wish I would have done. Sure. What I did was like, I went to open mics and I treated it as if I was still in Philly, meaning like, okay, I'm trying new material. I'm just kind of having a good time, blah, blah, blah. And what I wish I had done was like, stop doing stand up for a few months while I get settled. And then go to Mike's and do the same tight five, like tried and true things, just like for Mike after Mike after Mike. And then that way, when people see you and they haven't seen you before, and you just have an immediate, like people are going to remember you versus if you're just like another person coming to try new shit, it's like the, the less strong of a, and this is where I think I've dug myself in a little bit of a hole, the less strong foot you put forward the worst foot you put forward <laughs> initially the harder it's going to be to dig yourself out of that hole so you so, you're saying you want if you could have done this over you would have wanted people to remember you through that repetition and in, in your refining your yeah or I would have just like wanted to come out with a little bit more of a bang into the it. New York scene versus like a kind of slither which <laughs> you know and then people don't like if you blend right in people don't think that much of you like you, you just blend right into the crowd but um you know if someone comes in and I've seen this before someone comes in you're like oh that that new guy from Chicago oh that new girl from Pittsburgh whatever it's like 
that's kind of how you you should always if you go into a new scene prepare to like make a splash and if you're in a transitional period um it's okay to like take off a sec you know it's mm-hmm. better to come in with with impact than just kind of yeah I think how did you book your first show in New York did you just go to an open mic or like oh my god this is actually a really funny story that makes sense. so my first show in New York was before I moved to New York and it was you're gonna love this maybe hopefully <laughs> my friend do you know Usama Siddiqui no he's um I'm on his he's a another brown comic he's like the Bengali like, yay he's there he's their god um <laughs> he always oh. likes to remind me of this story uh they have another podcast I'll, I'll cross plug Mango Bay oh, um that's a great name but it so was before I was in New York and someone invited me on like a all brown Daisy show which as you know from being a fellow happy hey hey like, hey like no i i now tell people when they book me for south asian shows i'm like you can book me but like i'm a white girl like i'm an oreo so as long as you know that so i um yeah. the show was a broadway comedy club which i was like stoked out of my yeah mind that's amazing like oh my god it's my first comedy club blah 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 this is amazing and i had obviously been a fan of like Amy Schumer, Nikki Glaser, Rachel Feinstein, you know, all of these like girly girls who came out and they're like, I'm going to do stand up in short shorts and heels. And I'm a woman, but I'm also funny. So fuck you. And I'm like, I'm going to do that first time in New York. Oh no! Up until now I had been wearing like flannel and like baggy jeans. Um, so I go oh, no, there but it's and gonna I be wear like a Indian short. People, huh? Oh no. <laughs> I wear like a short black dress and red heels and I have sexual, like pretty much only sexual material then because I'm starting out. So like, that's what you do and packs a very different punch when you're telling it kind of ironically from this place behind a denim jacket versus when you're out there in a short black dress and heels in front of like a row of uncles uncles yeah and yeah the, it was to this day I think the worst bomb I've ever had <laughs> it was it was so bad I'm like Usama still loves to remind me it's like the first time I ever met you he's like that was but so that was a, a good story of my first show and I think I had I had like just like kinky jokes and it was it was a nightmare <laughs> and now of course if I bomb I know how to handle it. Like you acknowledge the bomb. Yeah. I think that's a good rule for life too. If you're on a terrible date, if it's a terrible day, just be like, so this is bad. What, how do we pivot from here? Right. How do we move on? Well, I think that's, oh my God, that's such a great story. And it's something that people should know if you're not South Asian, like if there's, um, a show that is like an Indian lineup, that audience is going to most likely be mostly Indian people and like their families coming to support them, which is why I could already foresee the results of this because (laughs) I was like, oh no, like that's something my dad would totally be like, yeah, let's go, go support Shivali. Like, let's go, you know, like, (laughs) I just be like, like, what? (laughs) <laughs> oh my god um, 
you didn't like her. Um, and like, so, what part? Where is she from? Um, my Indian accent's terrible. Um, yeah, I think younger Indian crowds are fun. For sure. Like, they're up for that stuff. Like, I just did the Mango Bay live show, and that was fun. But but with, but with then I also did a, another Indian show at Broadway Comedy Club a month ago. Don't worry, it went way better than my first Indian really? show at Broadway Comedy Club. And that went a lot better. But I was, I think I was first, but I was watching the host. And I was like, and that's a really important thing to do as a comedian is like, get there earlier if you can and watch the crowd and see like what they're reacting to. And so I basically, as the host was up, I like redid my set. Um, I just like swapped different jokes out. um, And it went over a lot lot better because I was like, I, and then sometimes it's okay to be like, if you're going to tell a sexual thing, say something. And then if it goes well, you're like, ah, oh, you guys are spiral. like more <laughs> grosser than I thought. Hell yeah. And then if it goes poorly, you're like, I I bet myself it wouldn't work. And now I owe myself lunch. <laughs> like this is not right. Um, anyway, so it's just always like, re- you know, literally reading the room. I love that so much, though. How do you write your jokes? Like, do you actually write them out? Do you like talk to yourself? How? What's your process? Oh, always, always talking to myself. Um, so I can rarely sit down and be like, okay, it's joke writing time. If I do that, like, it's guaranteed to be shit. Um, what I usually do these days, what I used to do is write my jokes out verbatim, and sometimes if I have a big show or a new joke that I really want to get down, I do write it verbatim. And then I look at it in my notes and I just kind of like repeat it to myself and get the word economy and like the muscle memory down. So that's for like at my most strict joke writing. But usually what I do is I, whenever I have a thought and I'm actually starting to do this a lot more, which is good. Like, finally, let's do this. Um, I just write down everything, every slightly funny or weird thought that I have. And lately what I've been doing is texting it to myself because hmm. for some reason it's like easier to access than my notes section. And I don't always have my notebook with me. So I text it to myself. And then when I need to, when I want to like actually work on new jokes, I scroll through my texts, I see which one I like, and then I like flesh it out how I want to. If it's something that's not really half, if it's not something that's half baked, I'll have to write it out. But if it's something where I'm like, oh, I think I need to work that out on stage, then I'll work that out. Or if it's something where I need to write it out, I'm like, oh, this tags in with this like tied and true joke that I have. So that's a lot of the times how I'll test out material is like if I have a new cat joke, (laughs) which I do right now, I'll be like, all right, tie that into like this stronger cat joke that, you know, works well. And then, you know, see how that works. So it's like, it's usually just things coming to me. and knowing what inspires those things. Yeah. Like if nothing's coming to you, it's like, okay, go for a walk, put your feelers out. Or a lot of the times just watching comedy helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things. Someone says they have a rescue dog. They did something heroic. I say I have a rescue cat. And people are just like, that's a free cat. <laughs> you earned that cat. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I... I'm very curious. I'm always curious about people's process like that. And yeah. I'm also curious, when was the first time you were paid? Um, 
I must have been so excited. I don't. Oh no, no, no! I think I do remember when I was paid. It was, um, because I remember I made five dollars, and I think it was that first show that I booked, like the one that I said after the open mic, and it was at this place called Fort Leeds in Philly, which I cannot be open anymore. I'm sure. <laughs> um, and I mean, I loved it, but like it was six years ago. Um, and I got a $5 bill and I remember like showing it to my boyfriend and he's like, we're framing this like first. <laughs> and now it's like, I have to remind myself like every time I'm like, Oh, I'm not making more money doing Santa or I'm blah, blah, blah. I have to remind myself that like, I have now at multiple points, I still have like design jobs. Like I still work on jobs. Yeah, so I I'm in so. no yeah. way. Yeah, but I do have to remind myself. I'm like, okay, over the pandemic, you paid two months of rent doing virtual shows. Wow. And like this week, you're making like, you know, whatever credit card money and whatever. And it's like, you just reminding yourself that you, however many years ago, would hear about yourself now. Like, what? Yeah, for $20. sure. $20. <laughs> $20. What? What? <laughs> what um what does it look like for getting paid in stand up because this is obviously I'm I'm nowhere near this uh Quarters industry. <laughs> I mean, I'm sh- I'm not surprised. Like I I'm a huge fan of stand up and I love I'm very weirdly on the perimeter of obsession and I'm very curious about (laughs) how people get paid, like how that works, because I feel like you hear about the quarters and drink tickets and then you see people Mm -hmm. buying homes and like, you know, I just like, it's like, uh, you can go from point A to point B and it's a very big gap. So like, what does it look like to get paid in for stand up? How does that work out? I mean, I think that gap goes for anything in entertainment. It's like, it's the, it's such a huge risk that you almost have to have it in your mindset that you're like, for as long as I'm doing this, I will get paid in beer tickets and anything else will be a bonus. Um, yeah, I'm definitely not the expert on making money in standup. Let me just, (laughs) let me just say that out loud. I think as far as just like pure making money off of just standup, um, you just make more over time and you just build your reputation. You, I think like corporate gigs and, uh, college gigs, like a lot of people are on this track called like NACA track, uh, national board, like ac- college activities, whatever, whatever. Um, so those things, you know, and then you get more and more, and then you just like, it's a lot of networking, a lot of outreach, a lot of, most of stand-up comedy is emailing. I'll just say that it's, it's a lot more emailing than you would think. And then I feel like as far as just monetizing in general, there are so many ways to monetize comedy and even just like yourself as an influencer outside of that. I feel like comedians now are just essentially funny, smart influencers. So now it's like, you know, people are blowing up because of podcasts or monetizing their own self-produced special that they upload on YouTube. And then because of that, they get a Netflix special or something or they sell it to Amazon. So it's like, it's such a hustle culture now. Um, you know, or like web series gets like, you know, Flatbush misdemeanors. Those are guys that like, I used to do shows and, and mics with or whatever. Um, so there's so many ways to do it. I think the whole thing is just like, 
don't get lost in everything. Like decide what the thing is that you most enjoy. I don't know why I'm talking to this. Like I, I like I know your demographic isn't probably largely people that are looking into get getting into stand-up comedy. So I don't know why I'm using a lot of you. No, I love this though, <clears throat> because this is exactly <laughs> like, why this show is what the show is for. I love ch- talking to people across industry because everyone has something to say about what they do and other people are going to be looking for those resources. So I think this is great. So keep going. I love well, it. also you can always apply shit. Like I was in corporate design for seven years, whatever. There's surprisingly things that I have been able to apply to my writing career, um, like sure. in abundance. So that's, you know, you never, everything is kind of crosses or overlaps to some degree. Um, but going back to monetizing, I think it's just like, hustling knowing what your strengths are knowing to play to your strengths and being like a business person about it I am not a business person which is like I'm learning more and more I really need to be and I'm learning a lot from like my rep um I'm learning a lot from like other business-minded comedians but yeah I think it's just like being business-minded if you're planning a tour ask up front how much it's paying even if you're reaching out to them just say like, is this a paid spot? How much does it pay? Blah, blah, blah. Like set your rate high. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just like a slow and steady incline. And well, uh, I love it. because Listen, you said something that is also blowing my mind. You said uh, my rep, like what? <laughs> Like, when did you get like my cat comes in? Like, my, she's like, like yeah. <laughs> um, when did you I get start talking to her? I was like, I'm still in lockdown <laughs> in my mind. When did you get representation and how did that happen? Not that so was not meant to be judgmental, by the way. I'm rep. just very curious. No, I didn't even. What's wrong with me that I didn't even take it as judgmental? Um, what's wrong with my self aware chip? Uh, so I have a literary agent and not, which is, has to do with writing, like screenwriting and, uh, writing for TV and films and whatnot. Um, so I don't have a rep as far as, um, comedy. What I do have for comedy is two email addresses. One is hello at graciecanon.com and the other is booking at graciecanon.com. Oh. And what I often like to do is reach out from booking, talking about myself in the third person. Or if I get emails, I forward it or I CC booking. And that is why I'm a crazy person. No, so um, I don't know how that I've just started doing that uh, to be to be foreseen how that actually shakes out. But as far as my actual human rep, who is not me. Um, I did this thing back in the pandemic. It was actually the last year that they did it. Um, there's a lot of different fellowship programs through networks. So there's like, you know, a a writing fellowship for CBS and, uh, Disney and Nickelodeon or whatever. So I got into the late night writers workshop for NBC, um, which is focusing on like late night monologue jokes, sketches, desk bits, blah, blah, blah. I didn't, I wasn't even that into that, but I just, applied on a whim and was fortunate enough to get into it and then from there there was like a press release that came out and uh you know a a guy reached out to me and we hit it off and yeah he started as my manager he's since transitioned to my agent he's very business-minded very on it pulls no punches I love it 
And yeah, we've just been like reaching out and, uh, you know, have a couple things like in early stages of development. Um, so also, so for me right now, it's like writing and stand up and then supporting myself with odd little jobs. That's yeah. kind of, that's kind of the balance. Ooh, I love this though. I, I feel like such a proud mama every time I see. <laughs> oh my God, joke. same to you. When you came out with this, I was just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and okay, doing yeah. it while you're a mom? Like, are you fucking kidding me? It's that amazing. we need to. I just feel like so many of my friends are just popping out babies and then resuming their life. It's and hard. I'm like, I'm like, excuse me? Like, I can't. I, how many of their, like, if you have a kid, do you automatically have a clone of you? I don't. <laughs> so you're a freaking superpower, superhuman, as well, far as I'm thing. concerned. Hey, thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, mm -hmm. I, it's definitely hard, but I, I also think that, um, from what you're saying as well, you're touching on like your priorities and, mm -hmm. you know, your priority has been stand up and you're saying writing and you're taking these odd jobs to support yourself while you're making those things, your priority. Um, yeah. I also noticed that you post a lot online. Like you were talking about, you know, being standups, being more of an influencer, like a funny influencer right now. And I, uh, notice a lot of standups, a crap ton basically have podcasts and they're posting video of mm -hmm. podcasts and then themselves, you know, on stage. And I'm always like, are the venues recording you? I know that the comedy <sighs> seller is often recording. Sometimes, um, where are like you getting Club. that stuff? New York Comedy Club, uh, Comedy Cellar. I mean, I only host it at Comedy Cellar Fat Black, so I never ask for recordings because it's me just being like, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm not going to post that. <laughs> um, but I like, I just bought a camera. So a lot of the times like we record our own stuff, um, but most clubs now record. Um, and then you can just like request that at, um, after. But I do think, so I got on the social media bandwagon like really hardcore a couple of years ago yeah kind of when everyone did and I think it's a great tool but you have to put like some emotional distance between because if you base everything off of like I'm I've gotten a lot better about it but even today like a, a clip underperformed and I just archived it and I like moved on and I was like all right how can we but definitely there was a time where if it underperformed, I was like, I'm quitting. <laughs> like, no, well, for me. So it's, yeah. you have to put some distance. And what I've actually done now is I've hired someone Smart. to do my clips, my newsletters. Um, I'm going to have her do a lot of um, booking and outreach for my 2023 little tour. Um, so just having that allows me to focus more on like joke writing and honing that because ultimately you can get all the right hashtags and get all the right algorithms and post at the optimal times and blah, 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 blah. But if your product isn't good, right. no, no, there's no smoke and mirrors that are going to, um, fake that. Right. And I mean, also you were just talking about stepping away and your mental health. I mean, I literally saw a comment of someone 
posted on one of your videos that was like, why do female comedians always talk about the vaginas? And I was like, <laughs> I'm ready to fight you. Like, <laughs> oh, that's not even that. Come you should for see my TikTok. <laughs> I know. I know. And I know you're on all the things and uh, I know you you're posting all the time. It's great. Like, I love it. I'm just always like, <sighs> um, especially when it's like people I adore and, but it's hard when you're posting something to not think about what are people going to say? How are they going to react? What are they going to do when you're on stage? Uh, how do you like filter through that piece of it? Like, is it just, I don't give a fuck what's going on. I'm just going to tell my jokes, get this, you know, refine my craft. Or is it like, you are thinking about that call and response? Like, are you that type of comedian to interact with the audience? I know from seeing your videos, but just for my listeners, uh, or are you more like, I'm going to run through what I got to run through. Um, so I think it varies. I think it's interesting how social media has dictated, at least this is true for me, like my evolution of performance. Mm. So I would say like, I now when I'm recording something and there's a joke I want as a clip, I will try to get it as clean as possible before the show. So if there's something where I'm like, I need new content and I want this joke to hit well and this is new, I'm going to make sure, maybe I'll fuck around on these other parts of the of the set. But this one right here is the important thing that like, as soon as I start this bit, I have to go into, you know, you have to make sure like the setup is there. It's under 15 seconds. You There's no likes or ums or whatever. So in that way, it makes me a lot more concise, but also as you said, you're a comedy nerd. So you've probably noticed how big of a trend crowd work clips are now. Yeah. So it's almost, and even people in their specials are doing full crowd work. Um, so it, I think it's also forced me to be a little looser. I was never like a crowd work person and I'm still not like amazing at it. Like I'm not super quick on my feet, but um, it has kind of forced me to be more responsive and like, you have to not worry about what the audience thinks, but you have to like be sensitive because ultimately they're there for you and you're there to entertain them. Like mm -hmm. if you're Chris Rock or Dave Attell or whatever, you can roll in and say whatever the fuck you want. And like, you will probably never bomb. So you can do whatever the fuck you want. But if I I'm not going to go on stage and be like, I just want it. And this has happened sometimes when something devastating in the news has happened. Mm. And I had this thought, I'm like, I'm just going to go up there and like speak my truth. And I'm like, who the fuck am I? And who wants to hear that? Like, maybe I'll slip a joke in there. So you have to be sensitive and you have to think like, not, am I going to hurt anyone's feelings or is this going to be not receptive? But like, am I going to waste their and my time right. up here by not being intuitive to like what's working? Right. I, I've noticed in the comedy world, I don't, I, I don't know about kind of the smaller comedy world, but in the larger comedy world, there's been like very much, like you said it at the top of the show. I don't want to get canceled. Don't cancel me. And like, there's a lot of talk about being canceled. There's a lot of mm -hmm. Like I know in Whitney Cummings special, she like had this moment where she was like, we're not your heroes and all this, like uh, all this, you know, talk about what is 
good and what is bad, what is right to say, yeah. what is wrong to say. Uh, is that really prevalent in the conversations that comedians are having? I know it is front facing, like it's prevalent front facing on these podcasts and in their shows and all this stuff. Are people talking about it behind the scenes in the same way? I think it's cooled down a little bit. I think like 2020, like 2016 to 2020, I think people were like living in fear of it. Like com comics were living in, like really tiptoeing. And I think there was some kind of point where comedians are like, yeah, I don't really give a shit. You know, <laughs> like, like, I think there's some kind of point where again, there's so many outlets. Yeah, I think, I think now it's easier to bounce back from being canceled. So there's not as much, like if enough people support you and if you have enough like eye rolls, like, okay, come on, this is fine. You'll be fine. Um, but I do think as far as like my position towards cancel culture, I think like if something offends you, you have every right to like, if you can, you should be able to say like whatever you want, first of all, in the first place, I do think that comedians are usually smarter than the average person. So they are able to speak with a certain amount of like irony and intelligence that a lot of people can't pick up on. So my rule is like, this is why we can't have nice things type of thing where like, you'll say something funny. That's a little dicey. And then there will be some random person in the country. That's like, yeah, like we shouldn't allow women to vote. And it's like, okay, all right, guys, this is why, this is why we can't have nice things. So I do think we need to be careful in what we say and like what real world consequences that can have. But I also think you should be able to say anything, especially as long as you can make it funny. And I also think that people who are offended have a right to backlash and right. express themselves too. Yeah. So, you know, everyone commence screaming on Twitter and I'll just be over here, not yeah. a part of it. No, <laughs> like, I mean, that's kind of where I am as far as cancel culture. <laughs> but I think like, you said I mean, something so right though. Like if it's funny, like there's a lot of stuff that I've seen in particular around like gender um, that I've like, like tr a trans non-binary. Yeah. Like, oh, I love me. I love me a straight white guy with a hot take on Leah Thompson. Right. Um, or woman. Like you guys haven't had a chance to check out uh, Sam Morrill's podcast. I'm just plugging away here. No, go. Sam Morrill's podcast. He has a great, he has a hilarious bit on um like his friend who's commenting on uh leah thompson the <laughs> trans swimmer is so good it's like oh yeah i've never heard you talk about right. women's collegiate swimming before. 100 it's like the little mermaid <laughs> like i've never fucking yeah. heard you talk about mermaids right like everyone like, just get old like like do more down. things you don't have enough to do right like, move along but there are but some, saying, yeah. there are jokes where I've seen comedians, you know, talk about, um, you know, the non-binary gender, gender in general, I feel like is like a very hot topic in certain circles of yeah. the comedy world right now. And I am like, sometimes I'm just like, oh, that was not a great job. Like, you know, mm -hmm. and not in the way where I'm like, oh, it's offensive. I'm like, I don't laugh at that one. Like, so I think yeah. what you were saying around like, is it funny? That's a very different story. Um, and I think that people are, have every right, like you said, to be offended. 
and every single right to say, uh, Hey, that wasn't cool. Or, Hey, that wasn't funny. And we do live in a country where you can say things that you want to say. And, you know, you might sound funny. You might sound super stupid. So like you can take your chance out there. And, but I've noticed that there is, you know, there are a lot of conversations happening in these circles where, um, people are saying I'm uncancelable and like, I, I can just roll with it. And like, um, there are some people who just are right. Like, I honestly, totally like Joe you. Rogan will never, Joe Rogan's been canceled like h- hundreds of times. And he's still like, there are some people who are just not like, maybe if Joe Rogan, like murdered a baby, he'd be canceled. Like maybe, but I still think there are some Roganites who'd be like, that baby was like, <laughs> what did that baby say to Joe Rogan? Yeah. No. And, 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 and I, yes, I can see that. I think that it is very uh, interesting to see these conversations happen on podcasts. Cause I watch a lot of them and I am aware of like these conversations and then you see them pop up in people's specials. And um, I think it's super interesting to see the state of comedy and how things are changing and how things are moving um, into that podcast clip style format online of what, you know, people are seeing for their bits and their jokes. How do you navigate that um, in the comedy world being a woman? Like, I, I know that's probably an annoying fucking question, but what is what has your experience been like um, navigating comedy in different circles as a woman? Like, do you see, because you said you have a very specific way of dressing. Your jokes are a specific mm-hmm. way. Like, what are things that you have observed um, that may have been challenging or really positive? during your experience so far just like as a woman in general or like through that scope of like problematic cancel culture um as a woman in general in comedy yeah um no I mean I think it's always like kind of an like I think it's always like an important interesting question um I think especially now on the time where like you're so prevalent online I think women just get more hate I don't think it matters how funny you are. I think you take someone like Nikki Glaser or Sarah Silverman or whatever, and you compare them to the most famous standups and you're not going to find a fraction of the, the, or you compare them to the, their male counterparts and you're not going to find a fraction of, uh, the bad comments that you find on successful women's posts. And I really do think it's because men are supposed to be funnier, right? Like that's how we were raised is, is that men are supposed to be more outspoken and more confident and braver and funnier. Well, there's a lot of very fragile, I mean, some are and some aren't. And like, that's humans, you know, you're like, you're like, absolutely not. I I stand by what I said, (laughs) (laughs) but I think there's a lot of very fragile men out there who see someone out, see a woman, a quote, like, you know, a, a something that is ingrained to them to be like quieter and not funnier up there, gaining success, doing that thing. And there's just something inherent and like primal about wanting to take them down. Mm-hmm. I don't think it matters if you talk about sex, if you don't talk about sex, if you talk about something political, like, I don't think it matters. I think like 
women are still swimming upstream in comedy. So, but that being said, like, you know, you still have to find your voice. And I, I don't think for me personally, the answer to that question isn't super asserting myself as a woman. It's not being like, I'm a woman, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. Right. My thing is like, like, okay, how can I actually use this feedback? Like, how can I be the best? How can I be like so good and so the best version of what I can be that like people cannot refute the humor and like the quality? Like, I'm definitely not there yet, but so that's what it's more a motivating factor than anything for me. I'm in therapy. Uh, it's great. It's uh, it's the only thing I ask my parents for financial help with, just because you know, like you break it, you buy it. Um, <laughs> that's fair. Venmo request, my dad. It's like salsa dancer, sad face. Um, but you do. There's a lot of hoops you have to navigate. There's a lot of like, you know and it's still happening it's like people hiring you or people booking you because they think you're cute people hitting on you or you being booked because you're you know is it funnier if a hot woman goes up or is it funnier if an if a non-conventionally attractive woman goes up and it's like you're so tied into what you look like so you know and i think it's like it if a lot of men are allowed to talk about the same topics. Like one of the, now that I point this out, you'll probably see it a lot, but a lot of men have like Jesus content. Like a yes. lot of people talk about like op Jesus content, a lot of observational history, but no one calls out that they talk about the same things. Whereas women, if women just talk about relationships, it can be like sex or relationships in completely different formats, completely different content. But you'll still find people, you know, guys saying, well, everyone just tells women just talk about sex. We don't say like men and women. So I think it's just like an inherent thing and it sucks, but you just have to keep going until you're, you're good enough or powerful enough to be like, you literally can't argue with me, you sad, scrawny motherfucker. Yes. Oh my gosh. And yeah. I think that's such great insight is just, you know, being the best and working on your craft and perfecting that. Um, because there are so many comics out there that do that and they're amazing yeah. and you can watch them and be like, God damn, how do you, how do you do this? And how, how did that's you like get almost so the answer to any question? For like sure. the answer to any question is like, just do it. Like I was talking to a friend of a very successful comedian who's like up and up and coming and she was like and she told me this and this shocked and humbled me she was like he still goes to mics like i don't go to mics anymore not because i think i'm better than i just like i don't have time or i do shows instead but she's like oh yeah he's still like like a few couple years ago he would go up at the shittiest club in times square it's called lol he would go up four shows a night he still goes to open mic so it's like Really, we again at the end of the day, it's like we can talk about politics and clicks and the best way to market yourself and social media. But ultimately, I think we often lose sight of the fact that it's like don't focus on getting ahead, like focus on being good. And whenever I get like a petty bone or whenever I think I have these moments like, meh, why me? I'm like, get good. And then, like, like Steve Martin's one of my favorite like comedy and artist influence, be so good that they can't ignore you. 
Yeah. So that's kind of, if I could get a tattoo, if I could get a tramp stamp, if I had to gun to my head, get a tramp stamp, that's what it would be. It would be Steve Martin. In Chinese. And then yeah. a bubble of him saying that in Chinese. Yes. In Mandarin. Yeah. Yes. I love it. Um, yeah. Who are, I mean, you meant, just mentioned Steve Martin. Who are people that motivate you in the comedy world? Mm, okay. So one of my answers to this is people who I don't think are that good, but have made it. I so it. I, like, I'm not going to name names because I actually can't think of anyone off the top of my head, when but that's offline, probably like the main motivator me the for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where I'm like, they're not, I don't like love their stuff. This person over here who has like a quarter of their followers, I think it's fucking hilarious. But the fact that they're making it and I don't think they're that funny means that like I can keep going anyway that's my first very petty response <laughs> but right now um I will say like the ones I've been watching recently uh Taylor Tomlinson I think she's really solid and I like the fact that like she like we were talking about she's a stand-up comedian and doesn't um and she's not the only one that's doing this. And I'm also not saying there's anything wrong with doing this because Nikki Glazer does this and I think she's fucking awesome. But I like how Taylor Tomlinson doesn't lean so much into the conventional like female stand-up comedian thing. She's like, I'm just a person with a jacket coming on. Again, nothing wrong with it. Don't want to come off like a woman hater. Um, so I just like that. I really love Sam Morrill. Sam Morrill. Um, I think he's killing it um she hasn't come out with something new in a while but Ali Wong like I really just love she just has like such a vibe about her yeah. um I think Rosebud Baker is really funny so those are kind of like off there's so many comedians now that are so funny and because of the lack of gatekeeping um they're all they all have like higher visibility so it's it's not like the old days where there was like Kevin Hart Bill Burr and yeah you know, John Mulaney, there were like five. Now there's so many that it's kind of cool. You can curate your own. Yeah. Um, oh, the last one that comes to mind, Hannah Burner. Mm-hmm. She's really funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, mm-hmm. uh, I like, I like all of the people you mentioned, including, yeah. um, I like that Taylor does crowd work. Like you were saying, she's really good at that. Same with Beth. Selling. Yeah. And so does, yeah. Beth Selling's awesome. And so does, um, Sam and, uh, yeah. So I think, I think it's kind of fun to see this like looser, like, cause people want to know, I think the reason that crowd work and like front facing videos are working is like people just want a human connection. Yeah. And I think that's also why like stand up comedy won't die is people want like people come there to know who you are. That's really what it is. So like, I think that's why it's like crowd work and more vulnerable content and people just want to feel like they're hanging out. And then yeah. they want to feel good after. So I think it's, I think it's changing, but it's always going to be, it's always going to be there. Yeah. I love that. I am half Indian, but I'm, I'm completely, I've none of the culture, all of the body hair. Uh, it's a real, it's a real bummer. Last question for you before we leave. Um, how do you deal with your family uh, and incorporating like family content into your act? Because I love your family. They're amazing. And, but I also know that they're a wild bunch and like, so is mine. And um, how do you navigate that particular arena? So, so funny. Cause for me, that's like one of the final frontiers. Like I, I've just now in the last couple of years started talking about my family 
And even in that capacity, it's in passing. Yeah. Um, it's or it's like attaching it to a funnier bit or something. Um, I did have some bits. Oh, actually, that reminds me. I have some bits from a few months back that I should pull up where I talk about like my dad uh, holding like a mug of cold coffee and standing in front of MSNBC with his sweats talking about how he's going to like crack this Russia Trump thing wide open for like six <laughs> months. I'm like, classic. You got this, Chris. I'm going to tell them to call you. You're right. um, but I think like often, obviously, like the, the hardest things that we've lived through are are the most difficult to make funny. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like you said, my family's awesome, but there was like a lot of trauma there. And um, I'm not in a rush to figure out how to make that funny yet. It's not something that's just come naturally to me. I mean, maybe it won't, like, maybe I won't ever. That's possible. I definitely would like to figure out a way because the comedy I'm most drawn to comes from like a real dark place. And it's usually a mix <laughs> of um, dramatic and funny, like uh, Gerard Carmichael's last special. I highly recommend to where he talks about his family and coming out and his family history and stuff. It's obviously more dramatic than the average comedy special. But yeah, I, I think that's like a, a very long-term goal, constant goal for me is like figuring out a way to talk about like those darker moments. Sure. Yeah. I feel like that would be my whole act. It would just be like <laughs> all my yeah. wild family stuff. Um, yeah. So that's why I'm curious. Cause I'm always like, Oh God, like <laughs> what would I even do? Um, yeah. You just, you probably have, you could have, I'm sure you get a ton of baby material. Yes. But that is the, the yeah. other thing, the way you feel about your family is kind of how I feel about baby stuff where I wouldn't want to talk about uh, my kid. Yeah. I would want to yeah. talk about everyone, everything else swirling around the kid because yeah. every, everyone else is insane when it comes to right. children. And certainly my child can be, you know, have moments that are wild, but I feel like for me, my observations have been like, Oh, when you have a kid, everyone goes crazy. And like everyone just, yep. Do, does things that are wild and they think it's acceptable. Um, and so I, <laughs> you're like, yeah. we, I didn't know we could crank up the volume on the crazy dial right. anymore, yeah. but yeah. here we are. What's going to happen <laughs> to child number two? The world's yeah. going to explode. Oh, and then okay. people ask you when you're going to have child number two at some point, there's oh, lever that people per yeah, that's, like, that's now's bad. the time to ask. We could do a whole other podcast on that at a later time because yeah. boy, does getting into your thirties present a real fork in the road. 100%. Oh, yeah. well, I love you so much. Time, yes. Love you and too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on and thank you for talking so much about things in, you know, in serious ways, which I know, like I'm, I'm always really curious about. And, um, I would encourage you if you want to go here, uh, my lovely Grace's comedy, please, please go um, to see her if yes. she's in your city and also you're regularly oh, yeah, in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Free. So what you can need? follow me on my Instagram and TikTok at it's save Gracie Canaan. Uh, and then uh, you can check out my shows at graciecanon.com um, next week. So I don't know when this will be up, but Starting week, December 27th to October 2nd, I'm going to be in Chicago's and I, for shows and I actually have 10 shows. 
So you have 10 chances to see me in five days. I really bit off a lot. Friday night, the 30th, I have five shows in one night. And my sister has volunteered and I was like, please don't do this. She's like, no, no, no. I'm getting a babysitter and we're going to, I'm going to drive you around like Jamie Foxx and collateral. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully I'll have jokes about that after, after that night. But yeah, uh, if you have any listeners in Chicago, uh, definitely come tell them, tell them you sent me. Yeah. Listen, my analytics tell me I do. So you should go if you're in Chicago. Um, and I'm so proud of you. It's been so cool to see your journey. Thank you for being on today. Um, you have to come back on another time and, um, yeah, please please go check Gracie out. She's so talented and super, super funny. Oh, Oh, and remember if you're listening to this episode, remember your story matters and your voice matters. And I will see you on the next episode of the amplify her podcast. Thanks, y'all. Five stars. <laughs> Read it. Review it. Come on. We all do it. Okay. And I hate that word stalking because A, it makes me feel like a creep. And B, I think it detracts from the hard work of the original in-person stalkers, right? <laughs> the, the, those heroes that had to put on pants, <laughs> go out to the bushes or whatever, wait for their old babysitter to come out. The Amplify Her podcast is a part of the Amplify Her Media Network. You can check out more shows on the Amplify Her Media Network over on Instagram at Amplify Her Media.